All right, I'm recording. You're recording? Yeah. Did you hear that? Uh, yeah, I did. That sounded horrible. <laughs> it's the sound of a it's the sound of a crisp white claw being opened up. Wait, really? Mm-hmm. Wait, you get to drink and I have to be sober? That shouldn't be the rules of the podcast. <laughs> That's the rules. It's a lime-flavored one, so it's kryptonite flavor, so I can do ooh, that. Ooh, I could do some, ooh, I could do some green stuff. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I could, I have a few green ideas. <laughs> Welcome to Two Guns and a Mullet. It's a Superman podcast. Today, we're talking about For the Man Who Is Everything by Alan Moore and Jungle Line also by alan moore it's dc presents uh number 85 i believe yeah i'll fucking correct myself in post if i got that wrong (laughs) um it's swamp thing superman crossover this is the first podcast recorded while under the influence of alien hallucinogenics (laughs) well uh, under the influence of kryptonite man (laughs) <laughs> yeah he's behind he's behind you like yeah no 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 mention green <laughs> mention green again if you could get some green in there the two comics we're going to talk about as i said for the man is everything and jungle line are very similar so i think it's really good that we save them for their own episode honestly incredibly similar also much yeah. much shorter probably or maybe not yeah even. yeah they are shorter because um the for uh whatever happened to the man of tomorrow is two issues and i think they might have been a bit longer than normal because they are the last issues of the character Mm -hmm. we're gonna start with uh jungle line that sound good this one is fucking adorable i love this one i love swamp thing (laughs) i was fucking told this guy was a nazi and i couldn't imagine him hating anyone i love this guy yeah he's not a nazi i don't know where your girlfriend got that from he seems like a cool guy. Is he like a like a deity? Like, does he is he like what the fuck is his thing? Why is Swamp Thing? What is Swamp Thing? So he's like a guy who got burned to death in the woods or in a jungle or swamp, and now he's a Swamp Thing. Oh, um, right. He's like in charge. He's not. I don't think you'd call him a god, but he is like an agent of nature who like protects it and stuff. He's sort of like an assistant manager yeah. to, you know, grass. And <laughs> <laughs> oh, CEO of grass. That's what yeah, he is. C- yeah, CEO of grass. Yeah, or assistant manager. Not even shift lead. Of, <laughs> shift lead of grass. I, th- <laughs> <laughs> I think Poison Ivy would be the 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 assistant manager. I think Swamp Thing's the main main manager. He's the big guy. There's no one above Swamp Thing. That's like there's a. Parliament of Trees, I think is the name of it. That's the gayest shit I've ever fucking heard. Let's talk about the fucking comic, alright. <laughs> so, this is uh, written by Alan Moore, with art by Paul Levitz, I believe? No, Rick Veach. Um, I don't know why I thought of Levitz. Um, inks by Al Williamson. Lettering by Costanza. Coloring by Tajana Woods. And editor Julius Schwartz. Um, I don't know if I've mentioned Julius Schwartz to you, but he's going to be on, I'd say, like, 50% of the comics we end up talking about because he's editor on Superman for such a long time. Okay, okay. Art on this book is probably the first thing I want to mention because 
I feel like if I don't get it off the top, I'm going to just rattle off about it every time I remember a specific page. Yeah. And how yeah. cool it looks. The intro page where you get him driving down the interstate, Superman, and he's got like hallucinations in his uh, periphery, and you get this amazing image of Superman, like with a five o'clock shadow, just pouring sweat. Yeah, it's yeah. An amazing tone setter. I love it. He's like looking to the right. He's got guys on the right. He's got little creatures. little 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 fun little friends on the right. He's got like a like a shell station on the left or some shit. <laughs> the uh, the dialogue that Alan Moore uses, not dialogue, the narration of this section, I think is wonderful. I love the um, the way this book starts. I think it's honestly one of the best parts about the book is just having this. Yeah. It's it's a fucking great tone setter. There's a lot of specific lines in here that I kind of want to like point out. The line like the eyes that once watched quirks at play are sunken and shot with red, really just beating him down with like telling you like how far he's fallen. Yeah. He uh, bruises his knee on the underside of the dashboard, and the pain is no longer a novelty to him. I think like a big theme of this book that I'll end up bringing up later is like. I don't know. I think Alan Moore sees a bit of ego in Superman, mm-hmm. which I guess makes sense. He does call himself Superman. And this is during an era where a lot of people were going with the idea that Kal-El was the real Superman identity and Clark and Superman were both, you know, I like secret identity type things. He puts on glasses and catcalls women because Superman would never catcall women. <laughs> <laughs> Rick Veach pencils really shine in the second page of this book where we get this massive skyline. You know, we see Clark's car driving down the interstate and we get this massive picture of like this huge mammoth skull. And I think it's just amazing stuff. I think the the coloring really fucking stands out. Like it's gorgeous. Mm-hmm. I love the pink sky and like I don't know. Something about the shading, it's just really just this entire book uh the coloring stands out so fucking much yeah i had not heard of tatiana wood before truthfully you don't really hear about colorists they kind of get the short end of the stick usually but it's really great on this title i love it oh yeah so the basic idea of this book and also kind of the next book we're going to talk about is that superman gets a plant and the plant makes him really sick <laughs> starts seeing things it starts with um he's going doing clark kent shit going to a science conference you know we get some good pencils here i think the parts that are set with with clark are a bit less interesting than the parts where he's really sick uh i think i think even the clark segments are super super engaging like i love just him uh locking on to the fucking to the moss oh yeah that is actually a sequence i adore uh it's so fucking good uh it's like not something i would expect from a superman book and just the final like the shot of his eye so i don't know it's really good it's well done yeah i really love the pencils that rick beach does when he's he's zoomed in on the moss he's looking into it and he starts seeing like a full-fledged jungle which we find out is the scarlet jungle later on i think the way he draws nature in this area where it's very familiar but still very alien is very cool also just again the coloring so fucking good like i love there's yeah. a shot of he when he's like freaking out he's like page one page one page two page two 
the reflection of the sky in the water underneath the weird rhino thing is so fucking cool. Just the whole palette of the Scarlet Jungle is like my favorite. I love that shit. I feel like the Scarlet Jungle is one of those things that I'm absolutely astounded is not bought up more. Because one, it's by Alan Moore. If there's one thing comic book writers love doing, it's pointing to Alan Moore books and going, I'm going to do it again. The Scarlet Jungle, just having, you know, this very, like, infectious and, like, disgusting place with, like, this dark red palette with lots of pinks. It looks cool. <laughs> and it's just... you get to play with fun animals. So I don't get why it hasn't popped up more. But I've only ever seen it mentioned in this and in... um another the next story that we're doing with alan moore where he gets lip service to it it's more crypto or krypton shit that's not like boring like really fucking boring yeah (laughs) i I've, i've mentioned this before whenever they go into kryptonian politics my eyes glaze over and i start foaming at the mouth i do not give a shit you know once they start like oh we're gonna introduce a new house of all these characters and also they're all dead already so you don't really need to care Uh, i'm surprised uh jeff johns hasn't made an issue about the scarlet jungle where only white people are allowed to go in it's so weird (laughs) what i would expect jeff johns to make a scarlet jungle a navy jungle (laughs) a emerald jungle because that's another thing he does is just make it so that there's more colors of the thing you already know. Ah, yes, the cobalt jungle. <laughs> All the leaves, they're a bit blue, but also a bit dark. You gotta like scarlet. You gotta watch out for the ebony jungle. Uh, Jeff, Jeff, no, no, no. Bad, bad. Did I ever tell you about Simon Baz? No, I've never heard of that man. Simon Baz is a Green Lantern introduced in the New 52, so like about around 2011, 2012 or so. And he is, admittedly, I think he's a really cool character now. When he started out, I think his origin, which was written by Jeff Johns, was pretty horrendous. So he's this Muslim guy, okay? Mm great start to a jeff johns book is when he you know writes uh people of color um and he gets taken into guantanamo bay and he gets the green lantern ring because he has the willpower to put up with being tortured by the u.s government and on its own i think that sounds pretty decent but it's just handed really weirdly because you know jeff johns doesn't really have the experience as a white guy to really talk about that subject matter no not at all (laughs) like i wouldn't feel comfortable writing something like that you know and i think a big part of writing is knowing what you can and can't talk about and have it be have it resonate as real it's the idea that uh jeff bridges wrote 12 years of slave (laughs) and is like yeah uh i just want to say i appreciate it was john ridley who's actually a comic book writer now who wrote it really yeah he's writing batman right now i think what the fuck he was writing um he's writing the all new batman i think its name is or the the next batman it's uh jace fox lucius fox's kid is batman they should make a, a a book that's called like the worst batman like oh you could skip this one this is a new one but it's bad so you can just not read it <laughs> wow like, i think that was done already there's like the the amazing spider-man the garbage spider-man yeah there's a weird point in his history 
That's just um, Azrael. Azrael? <laughs> Batman. Do you know Azrael? Yeah, is? he's in the Arkham yeah. game. Oh yeah. He's he's like a, a like a Templar. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what that shit is. All I know is, I uh, I had a guy at Ingalls, my old place of work, uh, where I was consistently sexually harassed, and the managers didn't do anything about it. Uh, I had a guy come in, and he was like, "I'm a Freemason. Here's this coin," and it was like a crazy fucking coin. <laughs> I was like, "What the fuck? I don't." Is it? I didn't know if it was a bomb or a tracker or something. Maybe I don't. Maybe, I hope he wasn't transphobic. It'd be sick if you were like, "I'm completely fine with this. I want a trans woman. I want a trans woman Freemason." <laughs> I think it'd be cool oh to be the first God. trans woman free, Freemason. I'm pretty sure that's a boys' club. I don't think that would be Fuck, actually very. Is it? Is it really shit? I'm pretty sure. Oh, that's the worst. That's the worst thing for it to be. All right, Superman jacks off in a wood or something. Uh, we get to uh, Clark Kent. You know, he's gradually losing his mind as he gets sicker and sicker after being infected by the moss at the science convention. And we get to see him just looking very crazy. You know, he's screaming at hallucinations of, um, you know, his Superman outfit and his Clark Kent outfit talking to each other, which is, again, an idea of, like, Oh, they're both secret identities, which was kind of prevalent at the time. Mm. The dialogue they have back and forth with them is, I think it's really expressive. The Clark Kent suit and the Superman suit talking to each other, even though they don't really have faces. Uh, it's super cool art. I love just like the weird, just empty suits. Yeah, It's so fucking weird. Mm-hmm. Also the dialogue here, again, like I'll bring up the idea of Superman having an intense ego in the suit telling him that you know he's a legend and that you know he you know he can't end up like this you know he's gotta keep going and the clark kent identity is saying like oh you're just a normal fucker and you're not important and you should just lie down and die yeah you will die (laughs) sorry i had to get some white claw on my system no that's okay (laughs) when when the swamp thing shows up i'm gonna do a swamp thing if you know what i'm saying pardon Get high. I'm gonna get high when Swamp Thing. But we've up. got a whole other issue to do. Fuck. Ah. Oh, well, I'll be fine. I'm <laughs> sure. Uh, <laughs> the another idea that I think kind of reinforces the Kal-El uh, being the main identity is him specifically mentioning. Uh, he doesn't say, you know, oh God. He says, merciful Rao at the end of the argument between his two suits, which is a Kryptonian <laughs> god. So I think it's really trying to nail home that, you know, the two parts of him are both pretty weak, but he's kind of like a strong dude in general. You know, the idea of like the suit being egotistical, you know, kind of into its own myth, and the Clark Kent mm-hmm. side being very cowardly at very meek they're both complete opposites Mm -hmm. Uh, i really like the shot of him having spit in his mouth it's really gross oh yeah when he's screaming at his hallucination of his suits and he's just again i love when uh they get a chance to show him just being crazy and like screaming and yelling uh and then superman decides to not contact any friends oh yeah (laughs) like well i guess if i'm gonna die i'm gonna die and then he wrecks his car (laughs) yeah he literally like 
Uh, it's such a strange thing. I feel like he would ask for help, and I think it's it's fun. It makes sense. Like, yeah, you know, you gotta have Swamp Thing somehow. But like, I think there it might be the point in comic history that is kind of causing it, because it's fairly it's not too close to a reboot. But there was a reboot a bit ago, and I'm pretty sure Clark and Bruce basically were on the outs for a lot of mm. the early years of the um after crisis so maybe that came into play there i'm not too sure i know that in general if clark got sick he would contact like bruce immediately and he would probably contact ray palmer as well and then he wrecks his car yeah. <laughs> i do think it's really fun watching him go to like a car dealership pick up a car because he's so sick oh yeah al's used cars yeah, and it's got a super deal sign next to it which i you know i oh man it's a white cloth <laughs> <laughs> that's he buys the car under the name cal ellis which is a trope i really love is when they play with names a lot in comic books how does superman have money to buy a car he does oh he has a job yeah, I he guess. has a reporter fuck all right you get away with it this time, Alan Moore. <laughs> you hack. You hack fuck. <laughs> I'm gonna go read some more comic books by Jeff Johns now. I love Jeff Johns. And I really love how quickly this happens where they he they show him buying the car. And then they say, he headed south. And then you just see him asleep at the wheel, his car flying off a cliff. And then erupting into fire. Which, by the way, the fire looks sick. I love the fire in this it issue. It looks so good. Uh, I love the final panel of the fire, of him just falling over. Yeah. It's, like, in in completely engulfing him. The color is fantastic. It's so nice. Yeah. And while this is all happening, you know, you kind of see from his perspective that he's running through the Scarlet Jungle in his Superman outfit doing, like, heroic superhero things. And I think it's really cool to have a story where, like, Superman believes himself to be doing like all this fantastical superhero shit when really he's just lying down in the middle of the woods having a very bad fever. Yeah, he's dying. Yeah. <laughs> and then you get the crossover portion. We finally get to see Swamp Thing show up, which, um. Alright, time to hang on. You gonna go smoke right. some weed? I'm gonna go smoke some weed. I'll be right back. So, like, I don't know. Do we wanna take a second to talk about how Superman is sort of God? and like maybe our, our opinions on belief and uh you know human existence uh you know as a whole i don't think i want to talk about that all right let's talk about swamp thing. <laughs> swamp thing shows up and i love the pencils on him i love the inks on him too that's just another great you know the pencils in it are just fantastic as usual uh, the choice of, like, red eyes and yellow pupils is so fun. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's standard for him, but it does look really great in this issue. Uh, I imagine it's just his, yeah, it's just his standard design. But it's, like, it's a weird choice that I really like. Uh, especially com it, compared to the rest of the coloring. Like, the rest of it's so, like... Muted. Yeah, muted and, like... Especially dark. on his body where it's very... It's a mossy green. It's not, like, a cartoony green at all. Yeah, it's like a cartoony red and a cartoony yellow, almost. It looks like he has fucking McDonald's eyes, <laughs> but uh, it's cool. It's good. <laughs> yeah. I really like how 
they really present him as like a gentle giant in the sequence where you can see he's like rubbing back Clark's hair and to like you know feeling his temperature and stuff he's just acting as like he's you know being a, a mama bear I guess it's also cool because he doesn't know he's Superman at this point so he would just do this for anyone yeah uh, it literally doesn't matter that he's Superman mm-hmm. uh, at this point. Eventually he knows. Again, like, I really love the idea of that Superman's hallucinating this, like, epic fight with a bunch of, like, f- alien jungle creatures. And they're all talking to him about how he's going to die here. And he's getting all, like, angry and the upset that, like, he can't die here because he's Superman. It's another idea of the story being that, like, to become a better person superman kind of needs to let go of his own legend and his ego that it just keeps getting worse and worse while he's kind of falling into his own mythos and his own uh ego i keep saying ego but i don't really have another word for it he's very vain in this issue i think is the big thing well sort of having to confront him dying which is like something i imagine he never thought of yeah uh it's sort of I think it's fun that it completely he just completely devolves and like dissolves in him like his fear of dying and like what that means for his status and like what he stands for as a character i think that it also is like trying to say it like you know the whole point of why superman is so important to the people in this world is that he does always win and he does never die and of course he will die like i'm pretty sure a few years after this book is published but you know it's treated differently here where instead of it being a matter of it solidifying his legend by having him die to like fighting doomsday who's like this big agent of you know just destruction genocide and apocalypse and in this one he's just dying because he caught a cold and he's got the flu you know uh i've never i didn't think about it like that uh an issue that's just like superman dies from the flu is so fucking cool yeah it's a great idea this is a great what a what a fucking damn i like alan moore a lot yeah he makes good stuff from this is like my only exposure to him i think like i haven't read watchmen Mm -hmm. like uh i think this is uh a really great first impression of a writer yeah i think watchmen is a book that it's a lot of people's first comic book and i think that's a fucking travesty because it really is so much better once you understand more about the medium and especially the genre i think it really hits a lot harder but i think it's a great book to start with in general a lot of people are a lot more anti-watchman being your first comic book but i think it can really get you interested in it especially because it's an older comic you know having people gain more of a i think the best way to read comics is to not read what's coming out right now because it's all overpriced and if you go on ebay you can find you know any comic you want from the 90s for like 10 bucks and get like seven or eight issues if you go in a comic book shop you're gonna pay 10 bucks for two issues you know Mm -hmm. i think the biggest hoop for comic books is finding a way to survive in a market where you can get netflix for five dollars or whatever Mm -hmm. i don't think it usually happens i think a lot of people who read watchmen just read watchmen and then never read a comic again so superman's playing mama bear i love him playing mama bear so much and he's being a little you know 
junior detective trying to figure out what's wrong with this poor boy. And he grabs the moss and he just freaks out because it's alien and it's totally new to him. And, you know, he interfaces with all plant life. There's a, uh, there's a shot of, uh, I really like just like the full body shot of him screaming Yeah, is, uh, really good. Cause it's like, I really like seeing Swamp Thing in the Scarlet Jungle. Cause I feel like we see a lot of like, damn, I got too high. Fuck. <laughs> oh my God. No, we're good. We're good. Uh, <laughs> I like seeing him interact with alien, like alien nature. I think that's yeah. cool. I really, I just like seeing the green swamp thing in the big red Scarlet Jungle. Mm-hmm. I think, I think it was a, a shot that stood out to me originally. I do really love in general whenever Swamp Thing. I, I think it's only really happened with Animal Man now that I'm trying to think of it, where we get to see them on different planets and how that affects their skill set. Do you know anything about Animal Man? No, I've never heard of Animal Man. He's pretty simple character. He gets the powers of any animals that are near him oh which wow <laughs> doesn't make a bunch of sense but it kind of does it's kind of the spider-man has the comparative strength of a spider type of thing except applied to the entire animal kingdom i'm pretty sure it only happened in jeff lemire's uh justice league united uh he went to another planet and he had like completely different powers because all the animals there were completely different that's so fucking sick. Yeah. I love um I love Jeff Lemire. I wish he wrote more Superman. I honestly had him on a short list of people I'd want us to look at, but he hasn't really done much with Superman. Uh even less than Alan Moore, you think? I'd say so. Um his stuff usually ends up being either very mystical or it ends up being very um street level. He did Green Arrow, he did as I said, Justice League United. And he's also kind of, he left DC kind of suddenly because he realized he could make a lot of money just doing independent comic books. Yeah. If you remember the Netflix series Sweet Tooth, do you know that one? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he wrote that comic book and he owns it outright. So he, you know, he got a healthy paycheck from that. Yeah, so I guess it wasn't it wasn't a terrible decision and he was right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, 100%. I think that's happening more and more. Like uh, Scott Snyder... Uh, is left not left dc but he's definitely departed from his very architectural uh role in the company where he'd kind of be guiding the universe and now he's doing like he's launching like six comic books on his own through image and through comiXology and i guarantee that at least one of those will end up being a movie in like five or six years i'm pretty much certain of that when did um sweet tooth come out the like comic the book or yeah, the, the original comic i am not sure let me do that quick google sweet tooth came out is a vertigo comic oh no this is actually not owned by jeff lemire which i suppose is another reason why he should leave dc because he probably did not get a healthy paycheck from this because it's owned by dc oh okay i know that jeff lemire has been doing one of the things about jeff lemire is that his output is fucking nuts you know he's always got like four or five books hitting the shelves and he's writing and drawing some of them i think the biggest one that you could probably expect is black hammer from dark horse might soon become a thing because it was very popular and very good the 
time he spent at DC was he worked on Animal Man, he worked on Superboy for a little bit. He did Justice League Dark and he did Green Arrow and I believe that's it. He might have done other things, but none of them were as high profile as probably his Green Arrow and Justice League Dark and Animal Man stuff. But you know, getting back to the comic, uh, we get to see a really fun panel. I love this one where you know Swamp Thing's further investigating Clark, and he grabs his jacket and pulls apart, um, pulls it apart, just like Superman would do in like a classic, like you know, he rips his shirt apart and flies away sequence. Yeah, very, very referential. And I love it. I think it's really well done. And I think it's interesting to see it done by someone else. <laughs> yeah, the sort of just the opposite perspective. I think it's another example of just showing like how weak he is at this point and how like he's dying of the flu and he's needs someone else to do like all these things for him that normally he would be doing himself yeah i love uh i really love using the imagery of like classic superman and classic comics and sort of uh viewing it from a different perspective uh, as opposed to like him revealing his identity it's him having his identity revealed which i think is super super yeah. fucking cool uh, and then he, there's the fucking insane panel of him zapping him with his laser eyes. Oh, and yeah. Smart Thing looks adorable. <laughs> he looks like a completely different yeah. guy. He looks so friendly. And I hate Superman for doing this to him. When he, like, rips the shirt open and Superman just jolts awake, screams, get away from me, and immediately vaporizes him. Or at least tries to. And I think it, it says specifically, Swamp Thing says, there is a hole in my chest. <laughs> it will heal. It's like Superman immediately goes for pretty much murder as soon as this person touches him. Uh, it's a good thing that it wasn't like just a person and it was <laughs> Swamp Thing. Yeah, Superman's pretty fucking stupid in this issue in general. Uh, well, he does have illness. Yeah, he is sick, but he could very easily get someone to fix him, I'd say. I mean, he knows, like, Green Lantern. There's definitely, like, space doctors and stuff, you know? He's got resources. No, he's got to go in a car. <laughs> he's got to go yeah. buy a... Fuck, I gotta buy a car. There's nothing else I could do about <laughs> this whole thing. Once he wakes up, just going nuts, like, shooting fire out of his eyes. I love when they play with how the laser vision works in comics yeah uh the way they picture portray it in this is insane just like fire eyes uh i think it's i think it's super cool it's a, it's also like a uh it's sort of built up to because it's not portrayed like that the entire issue uh it's sort of just in the mood of the scene of him just being deranged and like destroying everything uh until eventually swamp thinks like hey buddy Hey, he just no. kind of walks over, touches him on the shoulder, and he kind of gets teleported into the Scarlet Jungle, you know, hallucination he's in. And he just tries to, like, calm him down, basically. <laughs> he just tries to be a good friend, which I find very fun, you know, having to resolve this sort of conflict just through kind of talking to each other. Yeah, it's sort of what uh, I think is like the best part of this chapter and what it sort of is building up to. I imagine this is the concept. Like if this is a concept book where it's like, this happens to Superman, it's like Superman gets sick and a friend just sort of works it out with him. Uh, like sort of just nursing 
your friend when they're hungover. <laughs> uh, it's the way I, I viewed it. I think it's super, super cute. Yeah. Uh, for for a book that's like, I don't know, it's not that long, but uh, it ends way stronger than it starts even, I think. Yeah. Because you were mentioning that the, the part of him, like the cold open of him just being fucking insane mm-hmm. uh, with a five o'clock shadow holding a rock. Yeah. Uh, I think that's great, and I think the way it ends is even better. For yeah, me. I think it's also testament to the fact that, like, his first decision is to not ask his friends for help, but to immediately buy a used car, drive south, and hope that he dies alone, you know? Yeah. And he ends up just finding a new ally along the way. And there's these great panels where we see Swamp Thing's in the hallucination and Clark is still, you know, going crazy and, like, he's crushing his hand. He's shooting lasers at him. He punches him really hard and you see, like, him just go flying and you just see, like, his feet as he collapses into, like, a pile of mammoth bones. That shot sucks so much. It's so funny. It's so funny how poorly... Poorly portrayed him getting punched is. I love it. It's so out of place with the rest of the art. Yeah, I think, you know, in general, everything in this issue really hits the horror tones. I think once they try and do the more action-y stuff, mm. I feel like it would look pretty okay in a normal issue. Although the the feet flying through the air probably wouldn't. <laughs> yeah, no, the feet flying through the air is still hilarious. I do like that, you know, Swamp Thing never actually fights back. He just kind of lets him wail on him and then forgives him for it immediately. Because he's a fucking, he's a friend. He's yeah. the be- He's everyone's friend. <laughs> the final panel after, you know, Swamp Thing convinces Clark that the way to beat the illness is to stop, you know, fighting it off and just, you know, go through the, you know, damage you know, let it kind of take its hold. There's this great panel where Swamp Thing is sitting on the ground and Clark is, like, laying in his lap and they're holding hands. Yeah, it's, like, super... It's super cute. I think it's really, really heartwarming. It's like, uh... It's like they're dating, basically. That's how it looks. Uh, I think, yeah. (laughs) This is the start of a beautiful relationship. And I just want to say, uh, more... Hints at things to come from Alan Moore. <laughs> yeah. Uh, by Cool Darkness. By Endless Green. Uh, and then Superman sort of gets engulfed in like sort of a, almost a radiation. Uh, and, you know, Kryptonite is green and Kryptonite Man is green. So I think uh, I think this is a sign of things to come. I think he was referencing the fact he's going to have Kryptonite Man kill Superman in the next issue. I'm excited. You know what I found hmm. out the other day? I was doing research. Uh, Kryptonite Man does not have a name. Not the version we saw. He's just that's, Kryptonite that's... Man. He's... So he does have a name, is what you're saying? Yeah, yeah, but there's a few other versions of Kryptonite Man, and they all have, like, oh, this guy's name is yeah, a Mark, is... you know? Kryptonite Man is just Kryptonite Man. This is Danger Doug, and he's just a normal guy. <laughs> we then get, um, you know, Swamp Thing kind of just, like, leaves superman behind he's just like okay you know he'll live and he walks away off into the jungle which has just been destroyed by superman you can see like the trees are on fire and all these things and swamp thing's just happy to have like helped him out he's not upset about it or anything he did it 
his job is done. He, his friend feels better. Now he can just leave. <laughs> and then Superman's like, Co, I feel fucking amazing. And he, like, insane, like, muscle bursts his shirt and coat off. Yeah, it's like um, it's like the rock in, um, which Fast and Furious is it, where he has the cast on and he flexes it off. Oh, that's like six or some shit. Who cares? Yeah. <laughs> but it's he literally does that with his jacket. He just yeah, flexes yeah. really hard and it bursts into ribbons. And we end the issue with just Swamp Thing walking off, walking away. I really like this one. It's very sweet, and it's very... I think it's very personal for Superman. You know, it really dives pretty deep into a lot of subject matter involving, like, death and stuff like that. Especially his death. Uh. So before we get into For the Man Who Has Everything, I want to try out a little segment you know we're in the early stages of the show we're figuring things out everything's a little loosey-goosey it's the honeymoon period it's only gonna get worse all right yeah 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 (laughs) brie i want to play the name game what's the name game the fuck is that the name game is where i give you the name of a dc comics character who you almost certainly have not heard of and you have to give me a basic idea of what you think their deal would be that sounds okay. horrible. <laughs> yeah, Let's do yeah. it. All right, this one, it sounds really basic, but trust me, I love th- I love this dude's power. It's really fucking fun, okay. and it's also really ridiculous how his story comes about. Uh, gunfire. Gunfire. Yeah. Gunfire. Yeah. That's such a sick name. Would you uh, buy that comic if it ran I... for four issues and then got canceled? I think I would buy that comic if it ran for four issues and got cancelled. Any comic that's less than any, like... If it gets to double digits, I'm not interested, I'll be honest. Uh, <laughs> then you're gonna hate our Greg Pak miniseries. If it gets to double double digits, I hate it. But if it gets to quadruple digits, I fucking love it. <laughs> uh, gunfire, gunfire, what the fuck does he... He, is he okay so he obviously doesn't do gun stuff he hides from gunfire so like he has like a shield and uh he's sort of like maybe he's like very patriotic so he has like a shield and he's patriotic and has like uh like a super like he's like a super soldier uh and he's he could be a captain i think so i think uh I think he sort of is, like, super strong and has a shield to block bullets. Okay, okay. So you pretty much said the exact opposite of what this guy is. Fuck, how, what the fuck? (laughs) Gunfire is Andrew Van Horn. He's introduced (laughs) in 1993 in a Deathstroke comic, which is part of the Bloodlines tie-in. Hmm. So Bloodlines was this big event that DC did when they were fucking terrified that Image Comics was now a more popular publisher than them. So the order was Marvel, Image, DC. DC was not doing very well, is basically all I'm saying. And so they had this big event where the idea was to just introduce a fuck ton of new characters. And every tie-in introduced a new character, which they said would be super duper important and you'd want to pay attention to. So the Gunfire one was in Deathstroke's comic. He was created by Len Wein, who created Wolverine, just to name someone big. You know, Len Wein's a big creator. Having him on Deathstroke was probably a big deal. 
the Bloodlines event had these things called parasites, which were very clearly just the a- the xenomorphs from aliens. Mm-hmm. There was like five of them, and they would eat people's spinal fluid, and they what were the invading fuck? the earth. <laughs> yeah, that's so sick. But the thing is, for some reason, every now and again, when they tried to eat someone's spinal fluid, they wouldn't die. They would become a superhero. And so this happened to Andrew Van Horn. He's a pretty normal dude from what I Mm -hmm. know of him. Yeah. But his the power that he gets is that he can make anything he touches into a gun. (sighs) Now, what how do you think that would work? I'm wondering. If he picks up I... if he picks up a hairbrush, how does that become a gun? I am I imagine he like picks up a pen and it like anamorphs into a gun. <laughs> no. It's far worse. There's a wonderful cover of Gunfire where he is holding a lamp and it is clearly just a lamp and it is shooting lasers out of it. Oh my okay, so wait, the things are just guns? Yeah. So he picks up a pen and shoots a pen? Yeah, and it's just, when I heard about this dude's powers, my immediate question is, why doesn't he just have, like, brass knuckles on his hand and shoot those all the time? Why is he going to be like, oh, fuck, I need to find a lamp. God. (laughs) God, can I take anyone's shoe? (laughs) Also, he's always wearing gloves is another thing he's wearing fingerless gloves the whole time and that apparently doesn't count as touching something what a piece of shit character yeah how old he is had he? a 14 issue series from 1994 to 1995 and then in 2019 with the heroes in crisis comic book which was this tom king murder mystery comic which i actually think we might cover one day so i won't get too in depth into it he dies like off panel that that rocks good yeah (laughs) it's his first and last appearance in the new continuity is he immediately dies i think gunfire this should be the first and last appearance of gunfire (laughs) two guns and a bullet continuity (laughs) Mm, i like gunfire i think he's funny he is fucking hilarious. He sucks so bad. There's this there's this great um panel from the Bloodlines event when they were ending it where all these like these 24 characters that are all fucking terrible. You know, there's like 24 or 26 of them or something. And I think only one of them like sticks around more than like 3 years. Um and that's Hitman. Uh it's a Garth Ennis character, so he just kind of like writes his own books for him. But there's this panel where two of these random fuckers who just disappear as soon as the book ends pick up a train track and gunfire touches the train track and shoots the big monster with the train track. I hate gunfire. What a shitty character. That's what happens when you like force people to make new characters and that's like the whole gimmick is just come up with literally anyone. We'll see what sticks. This is tree fuck. So next up on Alan Moore's Time on Superman, the last book uh, for the man who has everything by Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons. It's uh, by far like the most popular Superman story he ever did. It got adapted into a cartoon episode, which is actually like better than the Alan Moore comic. Really? Yeah, yeah. I think the Moore comic has a few pretty massive missteps which kind of 
I think screw the whole thing up. Robin, uh... (laughs) (laughs) Not that, not that. I'll get into it once we finish the book, actually. Okay. But the, um, again, Superman, he finds a plant, and the plant just fucks him up. He just fucking hates plants, Alan Moore. Yeah, you know, in I want to do uh, sort of a story where Superman (laughs) interacts with some sort of alien plant. I think that would be super cool and unique. And these come out very close to each other, so I do wonder if he started with that idea and had, like, two different takes on it, and this is how they came about. The um, issue opens up with Superman. Well, we assume it's, you know, it is Superman. He's got the hair. He's got the little funny curl. Yeah, I don't... Wearing the dorkiest pair of glasses you've ever seen. Um, And he goes to, like, his own surprise party on, like, Krypton. And um, we get to uh, see a few Easter eggs. You know, we get to see uh, Nightwing and Flamebird. They get a small bit of lip service. The Scarlet Jungle gets some lip service. And Clark Kent looks absolutely fucking ridiculous, this whole issue which I love. I love this version of Krypton a lot. Like, the look of mm-hmm. it. Like, weird, goofy, almost like, almost like uh, 50s, like, fake modern. Yeah, retro future type of stuff. Yeah, retro future stuff. Mm-hmm. Or fake modern is what I called it. <laughs> <laughs> the... Like, fucking, they were, they're dressed like Dark Souls characters sometimes. <laughs> I really love the, um, like, collar that they give Superman, where he's got, like, kind of like a disco kind of thing going on (laughs) i feel like you know since this all takes place in clark's head i do wonder if it's supposed to be very earth-esque but also alien in like small ways because he's imagining a very human life you know that's one thing i'll say the whole point of this book is superman gets the black mercy stuck on him which is this alien parasite thing it's a plant but also a parasite that makes you see it makes you feel like you're in uh the per- the life you most desperately desire and i think it's really yeah. cool to give the idea that the life clark wants is a very human life but he also wants it to be with the family that he lost on krypton i think it's it's interesting i guess it makes sense uh that it's on krypton but uh i just i love the idea that the life superman currently has isn't the one he desires I think at this point he isn't with Lois, so I think that it would kind of be a factor for it as well. Yeah, he literally has a fortress of solitude. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, we then kind of hop into the real world. Uh, Wonder Woman, uh, Batman, and Robin are all going to the fortress to see Superman on his birthday. Uh, we have this wonderful exchange where... They very heavily imply that Robin is really horny for uh, Wonder Woman, which is, um, you know, I think, I think it's true probably, but it's probably a bit true odd and, <laughs> and problematic and strange and weird. Yeah, uh, I just want to say before moving on from the Krypton segment, uh, there's a shot. Uh, there's two specific panels in on page ninety-three. Uh, I really like the shot of uh, Krypton from the ground. Uh, like oh, it's yeah. a lot dirtier and grosser. Uh, like this rundown, it's really cool. I really like the sort of like the underbelly of like the super futuristic modern, mm-hmm. very Blade uh, Runner skyline. Yeah, very like the the skyline is like very crazy and like retro future, and the mm-hmm. 
the ground level is very Blade Runner. The two of them, they're kind of just talking about how they did never really know what to get Clark, which is kind of, you know, why they end up calling the issue for the man who has everything, because he, you know, he's got this massive castle in the Arctic. He's got all this crazy shit that he owns. Um, and the thing that Batman gets him is, like, a special flower that's brand new that was just, like, created. And I find that really funny because it's, like, one of them there's a lot of talk about batman being a bit homoerotic i don't think there's ever been anything more homoerotic than getting like your best bud a flower for his birthday uh yeah getting the you know i got the love of my life a new flower yeah this is you know it just came out it just released it (laughs) yeah (laughs) and like robin bought him a nintendo switch or some shit (laughs) yeah uh, so they enter the fortress and they see Superman and I think is a fantastic panel. I just want to say that it, I think up top this is amazing stuff where there's the Black Mercy and it's got all these vines wrapped around Superman and he looks completely dead-eyed. You know, he's got a completely blank face. It's like this full page spread and I really love it. Superman this entire issue just being really just sort of in the Lex Luthor oh yeah uh position of just like out of commission <laughs> yeah and you get like you know Super- batman wonder Woman. they start investigating they're doing you know detective shit trying to figure out what's going on those guys they don't really do much um until mongol shows up and starts beating the shit out of them well mongol shows up and doesn't even like isn't even like aggressive which i think is cool like he's i i don't know what he is what the fuck is Mongol? Like, what is his thing? Uh, Mongol was created by, I believe, Jim Starlin, uh, who is the guy who made Thanos and a bunch of other, like, cosmic shit at Marvel. His time with DC, really, I would describe his time with DC as him trying to do to DC what he already did to Marvel and not really succeeding because I feel like a lot of DC's cosmic is just boiled down to it's the stuff the Green Lanterns do and also there's some creatures that show up on Earth every now and again. He's this world conqueror, pretty generic title, I guess, um, who has this planet called War World. And it's like this big arena planet that he runs. Wait, that's sucking sick. Yeah, he's pretty cool. I do like him. Well, he's super charismatic. Like literally like his interaction with the justice league is so good just like i don't know completely irreverent of like all of of all of the characters i also love the giant um gloves that he has for handling the black mercy i love yeah those. yeah they're these big like golden knuckled gloves he has super like futuristic looking kind of jack kirby-esque in a way oh uh, yeah i really like mongol's design like his expressions his stature yeah. it's really really interesting i think i like him a lot i think mongol's a character that can look really shitty but dave gibbons is you know a artist in his own league so it's kind of you know it's obvious that he's gonna do a good job with it uh i uh, love the I... thing he does where all of the shots with his eyes in it they're like got this dark inking around his eyes of just the shadow cast by his massive brow yeah yeah and you mentioned the last issue you know that you really liked the yellow and red eyes mongol's eyes are like this pink with this red pupil which i think looks super cool in like the dark redness the dark black that surrounds him 
Uh, I love, there's a, there's a pose I really like when he's talking to Batman, where he's like, I'm the new manager around here. And he's like squatting. Yeah. Uh, and then he's just squatting for a while. Yeah. <laughs> until Wonder Woman punches him. Uh, I just, his whole, his whole uh, personality. There's this great line where he uh, is talking to all of them. And he starts talking about how in this society that you they make distinctions based on gender and age. And he wants advice on who he should kill first among the three of them. Yeah. You know, he's super casual about it. And it's also like, I think it's a sign of like experience doing this, you know? Yeah. One of the things I really like about these Mongol sections that I want to bring up now is the use of onomatopoeias you can kind of see it when wonder woman punches mongol in the jaw there's like a very chunky thrutch sound which i don't really know what that's supposed to sound like (laughs) but i love the way it looks when superman wakes up uh we get a lot of we get this one panel where you can see him wake up and he just screams mongol and it envelops the whole panel oh i can't wait to get to that it's so yeah i love that there's other instances of it with just the way that they do the lettering in this book, which I think looks amazing. I do want to kind of dive back into the Krypton sections, though, because these are the areas where the animated cartoon really differentiates itself. And I think is why I believe even Alan Moore thinks that the cartoon is the better version of the story. Really? Yeah. So we start talking a bit about Jor-El in this version where he is wrong about Krypton blowing up and so he just kind of looks like an idiot and everyone kind of, he gets, you know, blackballed from the science council and he joins this group of right-wing radicals who are very clearly just the KKK and Clark is very clearly like, you know, he's against his dad becoming a right-wing nationalist which yeah, is, yeah. you know, it's good. You know, his ideal reality, he isn't a fascist. That's fun. That's very cool. Uh, I do like the idea that they're essentially just Kryptonian flat earthers who then end up being like an insane cult. The outfits for them are very clearly just supposed to be the KKK in red. Oh my God. Yeah, it's in- insanely on the nose, but it's uh, it's very cool. Yeah. It's very... I think it's very excusable being super on the nose because it is, again, set inside a character's head. So it's all yeah. very reflective of the world he's experienced in on Earth. Uh, one thing I really like is the... House of L.S. isn't really seen throughout the issue. What you do see instead is on Clark's shirt that he's wearing, you see the sun that's on Jor-El's outfit all the time. What is what is that? It's, I assume it's just the, another symbol for their family. Honestly, I don't know why the S isn't really shown in this issue, but I think, you know, it's cool to kind of distinguish it from the Clark we kind of usually see by bringing in, like, a different look for him. Yeah. Uh, we get, like, this whole sequence where he has, he's had the right-wing nationalists over to his house, Jor-El, and they've hung out in the glass forest that he has in his backyard, which is just some of, like, mm-hmm. I just love this type of cool sci-fi shit, honestly. It's really cool. You see this great panel where you're kind of looking at 
the sunset behind the Jor-El and Clark and you can see the sun going through the trees behind them because they're made of glass. Yeah, it's uh, really, really, really fucking cool imagery. Uh, I love the palette of the sky on Krypton. The red sun is really great. Yeah, during the sunset, the sunset specifically, uh, just like the red clouds, the yellow sky, it's really, really, really beautiful. Uh, really well done. The two of them kind of just argue about politics. They have a Thanksgiving dinner discussion, I guess. And Jor-El gets really angry about it and smashes one of his glass trees and then starts <laughs> sobbing. <laughs> and I really love the expression work that Dave Gibbons does in this book, especially on Jor-El specifically. I kind of just want to cite him as an example of it because he's always very... He's very angry, and I think he delivers, like, that old dad energy very well. You know, the boomer kind of uh, anger mm-hmm. that you see a lot of. Yeah, just, like, the pent-up, like, oh, I... Jor-El, I think, is the least favorite, my least favorite part of this issue, personally. Mm-hmm. Uh, only because uh, I'm just not interested in Krypton. Yeah. Uh, I think I the idea... That. I think the idea is cool of... Uh, like, the whole point is that he, like, predicted Krypton exploding. It doesn't explode, so he's, like, a radical. I do love cutting to Wonder Woman shooting Mongol with a big gun. <laughs> See, like, that's what I'm here for. I'm here for Mongol being shot with a big gun. On Krypton, then, we have, like, Clark gets called to the space hospital to see his sister, Kara. Which is, I think... A deliberate choice by Moore because this is the one person who Clark in this in the real world would know and have a you know real attachment to it's the one person who survived and this is kind of where the two versions of the story kind of differentiate in that the whole like world Clark is living in like even it's supposed to be the life Clark wants, but really this life is just seems pretty terrible. You know, he's got an awful yeah. dad. His cousin's dying. Um, Krypton is like being taken over by nationalists and you know conspiracy nuts led by his dad. The sequences with the hospital, as you said, I think you know this is the area of the book where. I started to lose a bit of interest in the Krypton sections. I was kind of with it for the beginning with the Jor-El stuff. But once we get Same. into like watching like his kid play with action figures and stuff, I'm just like, okay, I think we can move on. They also somewhat lose the like the nice coloring as well. It goes to more traditional just like... Yeah, you lose a lot of the skyline, which I think is what made it look really pretty. Um, and you get more sterile... Um, Sarah, like, Star Wars Felucia, Star Wars prequel vibes. Yeah, yeah. I do love the red borders as well for all the sequences in the Black Mercy. I think that's a great way to distinguish them. Real simple off the top. It's kind of similar to what um, was done in the last issue, where the Scarlet Jungle sections were all very red, and you could easily distinguish them just off that. But they're kind of just building it into the borders since it takes up a lot more of the issue. So when Clark's leaving the hospital, he like comes across his dad's KKK rally. Uh, there's a cop who I think is very clearly supposed to just be Judge Red. 
I don't really get how else to look at him but being a Judge Dredd <laughs> on Krypton. He sees that his dad is, like, giving a speech at this rally, and there's a lot of counter-protesters and a fight breaks out. And he drives off to the site of Argo City, I believe? Or is it, um, Kandor? Yeah, to the Kandor Crater. The, um city that brainiac shrunk and is usually held in the fortress oh, i think oh wait really yeah that's what the crater's from oh that's fucking sick yeah what that's so cool <laughs> i really love the usage of this thing that kind of reminds you you know that jor-el kind of was right in a way the fact that uh in superman's perfect world it was still shrunk down <laughs> yeah. like he could imagine this whole thing and he's still like yeah that was pretty sick yeah <laughs> it, was, it was cool that that green guy did that <laughs> yeah i think that's really i think that's my issue with this book honestly i think it's pretty good i love the art in it i love you know getting to see quirky sci-fi stuff Mm-hmm. I love the Mongol sequences, but I think the idea that this is the world he most wants is, I think, basically flat on its face wrong. Yeah. It could just be, like, flaws with the Black Mercy, Yeah, you could say. I suppose. But I think it feels like one of those things where it's, like, the concept and everything was built around that. <laughs> like, how do you get Superman here? Mm-hmm. Like, what's the story? Uh it is very flawed, I think. I really want to watch the animated uh, episode at some point. The big difference with the animated one is that it sticks to the idea that it's the world he most desires. So when he gets to the moment that we're at now where he has to tell his kid, you're not real, I have to go, I'm really sorry. You know, he thinks he's known this kid for like you know 20 years or whatever, 15 years. But he's just not real. Once we get to that, it hits a lot harder if it is actually, you know, a world that is ideal and perfect for him. Yeah, it seems sort of like, thank God he got out of that place. That seemed like it sucked. (laughs) Batman and Robin are getting the mercy off him because he's, you know, starting to resist. He's telling his son that he's (laughs) not real. And it eventually sticks itself onto Batman. And we get, like, a small sequence where... Thomas Wayne deflecting the gun of the mugger and them going home from the movie theater safely, which I think is just a nice small piece of the story. Yeah, it's very out of nowhere, but uh, I think it's like super cool. I'm very glad. I want to see what uh, Robin's perfect world is. (laughs) Well, this is Jason Todd, so I believe it would probably be him not being like a poor orphan well, probably i imagine it's the same exact world but he's like five inches taller oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, and he's got he gets to keep the, usually <laughs> or this, he's, this he's like no no he's like an inch taller than batman <laughs> <laughs> yeah he gets to wear proper pants that's the only change yeah yeah it is weird. he's not in his underwear it's so strange his whole outfit is so strange yeah it's just a layover from you know decades and decades of history Mm -hmm. it's uh that whole i do like how after the whole bruce wayne sequence uh you get all the shot of superman uh the shots of superman that are amazing Mm -hmm. uh you get him like towering over robin like completely silhouetted and like purple 
Yeah, and he's fucking so angry. You know, he just watched his son die, essentially. You know, I think a big part of the stories that they all have in common from Alan Moore is that Superman tends to lose his shit. (laughs) And usually it's very just when he does. He's told what's going on. And there's this panel where he just screams Mongol's name. And all his name, like, envelops the frame. It's like the text is in the back of the shot. It, it is a really nice shot. There's uh, also just him asking who did this to me is so good. Yeah. I, I just, that whole shot. Yeah, the way they play, like, they decide to use, like, purples to kind of, you know, show his anger. Where it's kind of like this rage building. I will say, uh, coming up to the next few sequences, a uh, complete shift from the Swamp Thing issue is that yeah. the action is, like, amazing. Like, the action is so fucking good. Uh, specifically with Superman and Mongol. Mm, There's just a yeah. lot of shots that I really, really like. Uh, him, like, racing into the room. Yeah. He breaks through the wall and he, like, collides with him. And you can see, like, all these really stellar, like, action lines being used as the wall explodes and then Superman bursts through it. Uh, his, like, silhouette bursting through the wall is so good. It's so good. Uh, I miss Swamp Thing's feet, of course, but... <laughs> you get Mongol's feet, though, but it's kind of just his boots. Fuck! Ah, oh, shit! <laughs> and Superman, you know, I love a lot of the dialogue Moore uses here, where he's saying, like, Superman's so angry that he's calling Mongol, like, vermin. And <laughs> he's, you know, they're just slugging it out. At one point, Mongol, like, throws him through a room, and Superman's on the ground, and Mongol grabs him by the neck and tries to grab his head. And Superman just says, burn, and then <laughs> he shoots him with his laser vision. And there's this really cool onomatopoeia. I'll say I keep, you know, coming back to this because mm-hmm. I think it's a standout part of the issue. I don't know if Gibbons did this work or if it was a letterer, but sound effect of his lasers hitting him have, like, these fiery effects on all the letters. Mm-hmm. And... You know, there's other moments where later on where the Black Mercy gets put on Mongol and his scream envelops the whole panel just as it did when Superman was screaming Mongol. I think all of those are really fun. Yeah, uh, the that whole uh, sequence might be one of my favorites. I really love the Mercy being dropped on him uh, and him imagining, while because it, it works, like he gets, it attaches to him. Uh, but hit from his perspective, he kills Robin. Yeah. <laughs> like, you see Robin's skeleton. He smacks away the mercy and just takes over the planet. Yeah. Uh, it's I, I imagine that would work really well in an animated form. I really like other parts of the fight. We get to see, like, Robin kind of being a bit ingenuitive and, like, figuring out how to keep the mercy, you know, away from people where he takes one of Mongol's big gloves, he puts it inside the glove, and carries it with his uh, cape. I find it funny that, really, Robin is a bigger hero in this story than Batman ever was. Yeah, or Superman. Like, yeah. He, uh, completely, he is the reason why Mongol gets captured. Like, he is the, the main mm-hmm. force. <laughs> There's a sequence where Mongol and Superman, when they're slugging it out, where they're in, like, a zoo in the Fortress of Solitude. And I think, you know, that's one of my favorite ideas for Superman is just populating the fortress with, like, 
you know, fun creatures and sci-fi creations and stuff. Yeah. Um, one of them, there's this line where Mongol hits uh, Superman and he gets knocked into like this uh, cage full of, um, they call them Neo-Moth Boils. And these like fun little butterflies are flying away and they're mm-hmm. like shrieking. And they also describe this... This is one that I really wanted to talk about because I think it's so fucking cool. Is there's these little vapors coming off of the ground in this shot. And they describe it as three sentient puddles from Minrod 4 evaporate completely, leaving a faint odor of gasoline. And I love (laughs) the idea that Clark has not just like, oh, it's a weird moth or, oh, it's a weird lion. He has like, it's a puddle, but it's alive. Yeah, sentient puddles. <laughs> yeah. And I really like I saw that and I was like, ooh, I want I want that to be like a real story. Maybe it is. Maybe I just need to Google it and it'll pop up, but like, yeah, it could be like uh referencing in lip service to shit. Yeah. I do love also seeing the statues of his mom and his dad. Oh yeah. Uh and his dad is just wearing the issue, the outfit from earlier in the issue. Uh and is an, an old man. <laughs> Uh, I love, uh, I want to say one of my favorite uh, action panels is when uh, it's during the puddles. It's when he gets punched through a wall and uh, Mongol's motion of like jumping and then him uh, like thrusting downwards yeah. with his feet is like so kinetic. Like it has so much impact. Uh-huh. Yeah. I, I really uh, love everything about the fight here. I think the, all of these poses really hit very well. Personally, yeah, yeah. my favorite part is when Superman's on the ground and Mongol does like a wrestler hit on him where he jumps up in the air and slams into him feet first right on the chest. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. That shit rocks. Just his whole, I love his stature. The way they draw, I looked up Mongol. He looks horrible. <laughs> <laughs> what a horrible looking creature. But he looks so good in this. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's by far his biggest appearance. Really? Okay. Yeah. There's some other stuff that we're going to actually end up covering it next time. Uh, Not next time, but the time after that. Um, We're going to be covering a Mongol story where I think he looks pretty ugly, but I think it's a pretty good story overall. Uh, There's this brief moment when Superman like passes by his statue of his dad where he like looks up and he just completely freezes in his tracks when he sees his father because he's just, you know kind of met him for the first time in a way and (laughs) i find that really cool that like they take time to acknowledge like oh it's kind of like traumatic traumatic what he's been through yeah definitely i mean he imagined he like he watched his son die and his father be a psychopath i also i love the expression on uh his dad in the statue uh especially when it's viewed from the side when he freezes Mm -hmm. uh it's almost like grimacing and like disappointment yeah they end the fight with robin coming by and just kind of dropping the mercy on mongol yeah (laughs) and i love the expressions mongol has here he's got a very fun face i'll say that dave gibbons gives him a really fun look the next page there's like two different versions of the effect of the events unfolding right next to each other the first one being mongol's like black mercy version and the other one being what really happened Mm-hmm. And I love the way the um, 
the fake version of it kind of goes down where he just swats away the black mercy fires a laser from his chest and vaporizes robin and he just like chokes the life out of someone and you see like the blood splatter from his hands and you look on the other side and the colors are completely different they're like way less dark and like red and scary (laughs) yeah and they end the issue with like a very (laughs) very homey i guess would be the way i describe it very like cutesy moments where yeah very slice of life yeah where they give the gifts to superman and wonder woman's one is a duplicate of the city of kandor which uh apparently was enlarged at this point i did not know about that but superman like flies back into his cave takes the city of kandor duplicate he already has and puts it in his closet so that he can make diana feel good about getting him something new oh my god that's adorable i didn't realize that's what was happening oh my god that's so cute i love this issue i love this one i really like this bit at the end i think i'm kind of maybe a bit too much of a sucker for cute shit with superman but i think this stuff is really great and uh they end the issue with you know more mongols point of view you just see him like standing the way superman did completely like blank face no emotion showing and you see what he's watching and he's like on this giant throne he's on war world he's got tons of servants if you look among his servants, I think one of them is meant to be Brainiac. I'm not too sure. Which one? Uh, the one that's kissing his hand. I believe that's supposed to be Brill Docks. I'm not too sure, though. Brill Docks? Yeah, that's Brainiac's name. Don't fucking call him Brill Docks. Just call him Brain- Braino, whatever the fuck. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be so mad if I know Brainiac's real name. <laughs> And that's the end of the story, you know? They say the final line is, he is content with Mongols <laughs> smiling ear to ear that he's taken over, you know, the galaxy or whatever. Yeah, he is a big Death Star. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Overall, I think this issue is really good. Really good. Yeah. I think there are weaker spots in it compared to the Al- other Alan Moore stories we've covered um mainly that like the black mercy what the black mercy does and what it's supposed to do are so different that like it kind of ruins the punch of one of the biggest moments of the story where superman says goodbye to his kid yeah superman i think superman in krypton is definitely the weakest point but everything else is like uh so good uh so do you want to talk about what we're reading next week? Because it's a pretty exciting one. Uh, right. I just, you know, I love Kryptonite, man. <laughs> and I'll be honest. This is every single issue that the Silver Age Kryptonite man who appeared in Alan Moore's Whatever Happened to the Man of Tomorrow. There are other Silver Age uh, Kryptonite men, but none of them <laughs> compare. They don't compare. You know, there are a few kryptonite men here and there, but not our kryptonite man. Yeah, the first first instance of someone being called kryptonite man is actually Lex Luthor. What? Yeah, he had like a harness thing that shot kryptonite stuff. And he became kryptonite man. Yeah. Was he green? No, he was not green. He was just Luthor with like a thing on his chest. There's also another kryptonite man who I think happened during the Silver Age where... 
He's like a big green ogre made out of rock. Um, but we're just going to focus on the little the green the, elf. The man in the pink leotard, you know? Yeah, the, the, the green elf in the leotard. I'm wondering, did you notice, I didn't I didn't register it until I was making the cover for next week's podcast, but Kryptonite Man has, like, really weird underwear on. Like, they've got little, like, bulging things on his legs. What? Look at a look at a picture of him right now, you know? And you'll <laughs> see that he's got these two like it's like he's it's taken like he his shorts. Up, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like he rolled up his shorts so that they are the size of underwear. He's the ultimate bisexual. He wears cuffed <laughs> shorts. <laughs> oh. Maybe they are cuffed jeans, but he's just rolled them up all the all way. All the way? <laughs> that sucks. <laughs> I hate Kryptonite. God. Thanks for listening to the podcast. If you want to tune in next week and want to read along with us, you should read Superboy 83, 99, and 128, as well as issue 454 of Adventure Comics. We'd appreciate if you guys could rate, review, and follow, and follow us on the podcast Twitter at Two Guns and a Mullet. That's with the number two. While you're over there, you'll find reading orders for every episode that we're doing. It's a very helpful resource if you want to read along with us.